Hi, um, I uh, wanted to kind of give a little um, little opening before we get into this week's episode. So, um, I know we told you guys this is going to be a show that's going to be episode by episode breakdown of Fresh Fruits of Bel-Air. However, we recorded an episode earlier this week, kind of in the in, in the start of all of this that is going on, right? Um, the, the very beginning of everything. So, um, as... News keeps going forward, and as we are now dealing with the aftermath of the horrendous murder of George Floyd, um, I, I, I felt it would be irresponsible for us not to have this episode go out this week. So, um, a little change in programming. Uh, if you are following along, uh, we are going to be talking about uh, this week, episode 8 of Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. Uh, 8? Is it episode 8? Uh, episode six. I'm sorry. Um, obviously my head's not in the right space. Uh, we are gonna go ahead and go with our episode six up. Um, uh, the freshman's Bel Air, where me and Sonia talk about, um, kind of dealing our dealings with police, our thoughts with uh policing, and how it deals with being two people of color. Um, especially, um, in this situation with me being a you know a black man of color and her being an indigenous woman of color. Um. This is it. There's no really good way of of transitioning or doing this, and it it, it kind of feels a little grody. It feels like I'm feels like I'm profiting off of something, and I'm not trying to. I want to I want to put things out there, and I and I have a lot I want to say, um, and I feel like putting this out here would probably be the best way of me being able to say that. Um, so in lieu of all that, I I do I, I, we're not going to go into. I'm not going to put the opening on. We're going to go right into the episode. Um, we're going to talk about, you know, we're going to talk about dealing with life and dealing with everything. Um, if you do want to support, um, what's been going on, uh, help out the protesters, um, I would recommend please go and search, uh, George Floyd. There are a number of great organizations, uh, that are trying to help the family, uh, of, of Mr. Floyd to help the protesters, um. Please do that. Give your money to that. Um, I, I I hesitate to come on here and say that these aren't going to be political speakings and how we're going to come off isn't going to sound political because it is. Um, we shouldn't feel like a human life can be politicized, but it has been. And, um, and we can no longer sit and be idle as genocide continues to happen and we do nothing about it. So um, that's this week's episode. Um, we will try to have a little bit more fun episodes in the future. There's a lot of great guests coming soon. Um, so there's a lot to look forward to with the show. But I, I felt it would be I'd be disingenuous if I didn't put this episode out. So um, thank you guys so much for supporting. Um, and I really hope this gives a small brief respite into your whole day with everything that's going on thank you hello and welcome to a brand new episode of live from the pool house we are live from said pool house i am tl foster and i am joined by sonia valentine <laughs> uh hey sonia we are we are now officially this is we're six episodes into this thing, right? Like oh, it's now, yeah. it's now a thing. We can't <laughs> like not say it's 
Not to say like it's almost two months old now, <laughs> right? Uh, which is crazy because like when you look at it, not to get all nasal gazy because we're just really early. We've been shooting some of these like uh, a little bit behind the curtain for you guys. We've been shooting some of these out of order uh, for some of the guests that we had. Like last last week we had Chris Antista. Uh, we have some other guests that I can't wait to tell you guys about, but it will be in the future. Uh, so shooting these out of order was kind of like a little weird. Uh, but it's like shooting a TV show. Like sometimes you shoot episodes out of order, right? So that's that's been fun too. Oh yeah. Well, and especially if we have an episode, like say if for some good reason uh, that I hope we can do get Cree Summer on to talk about her episode, like uh, yeah. I wouldn't be against that, even though it's in like season six. But still, <laughs> it's like right. But I would love to get her on here. Just saying, Cree hit us up. <laughs> or you know, like. We're getting, like, in this first season, like, Queen Latifah. That'd be great. Oh, my God. She's, if I got... the, she's in the season twice. If people don't realize that, I'm just like... <laughs> she plays an old lady and a young lady. Yeah. That would be, like, wild. <laughs> but if she was on the show, all I would do is, like, please, just talk. I, I love you, woman. Like, <laughs> let's talk about Sit It Off, please. <laughs> so... I don't know. Maybe we could use your new friend Mick Foley. Foley like Mick yes. Foley on this show. Does he know Queen Latifah? No. But we can have him on the show, yeah. Hey, you know what? It. We're talking about 90s. I'm pretty sure there's a wrestling. If I mean, if if we Mick Foley would be great if there was like a wrestling episode. Yeah, we exactly. Could talk about it. Well, there is a wrestling episode of Family Matters. I don't know if there's a wrestling episode of Fresh Prince. There is a friend, and it has the bushwhackers in it. Yes, I uh, love that episode because <laughs> wrestling was real for a second then. <laughs> uh, but this episode, uh, as we are very frivolous and having a lot of fun, uh, we're going to kind of breeze through a lot of this. Uh, but uh, this episode is a very important one, so there's uh-huh. going to be not a lot of fun conversation to have, but a lot of very important conversation to have. Yeah. Uh, this episode is Mistaken Identity, if you'll go ahead, Sonia, with yes. the Yes, so season one, episode six, Mistaken Identity, which first aired October 15th, 1990. Uh, it was directed by Jeff Melman and was written by the show producers Susan and Andy Borowitz. And in this episode, Will and Carlton are arrested, possibly because Will may or may not be notorious child killer Freddy Krueger. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, um one thing i wanted to bring up before we start um i only know where uh, like palm springs is a place because of this show and because golden girls mentioned that sunny bono was once the mayor of the of palm springs so i guess it's in mm-hmm. southern california somewhere like i don't know yeah it's like sort of like near southern california in nevada Okay. Right, like people don't realize, like Los Angeles and Las Vegas are not like too far away, and Palm Coast is kind of like in the like in the middle of that. Um, our California listeners will probably tell me I'm wrong, but that's <laughs> that's what I that's what I remember. So uh, don't don't judge me too hard on that. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, yeah. Palm Springs is tucked away all the way down there somewhere. Like <laughs> it's in there, next to San Diego. Like it's just part of there. Like, right. I only know, that, like, in San Diego, all I know is the convention center. That's about it. <laughs> my I've hotels. never been, uh, yeah, I've never been to San Diego. So, like, I, that's more than I know. Like I said, L.A., I know L.A. L.A. is kind of, like, a weird metropolis. Like, it's, it's like a, it's like you, like, you ever seen those, like, mobiles where you have, like, the marbles and you mm-hmm. can move the marbles around? That's what L.A. feels like. <laughs> um, so, but anything outside of that, have no idea. 
had no clue. All I know is wrestlers. That's about it. But... Absolutely. Where is this from Death Valley? That's what I would want to know, right? It's like it's it's like between L.A. and Vegas. So I've been there. It was pretty cool. But um, so this episode is about Palm Springs. And mm-hmm. Aunt Viv and Uncle Phil are heading to a parent's retreat in Palm Springs, leaving Hillary in charge of Ashley. Or Ashley in charge of Hillary, depending on who you ask. And Jeffrey has the weekend off <laughs> so uh so the whole like uh inciting incidents of this episode is that will wants to go to palm springs with the family so uh, with the parents so he makes a suggestion to will uh, to phil's partner law partner that will drive the well a responsible young man drive the partner's car to palm springs from la because they're gonna, mm. the parents are taking a helicopter, and right. of, uh, in obvious sitcom fashion, Will is not the chosen young man. <laughs> it's Carlton, right? So, which is uh, kind of like, <laughs> go ahead. As we yeah, as we get more in the show, it kind of it almost plays on its head, like because as we get further in the show, a lot of times Will will get opportunities that you would think would be for Carlton, mm-hmm. uh, but this is the first time where the guy's like. No, Carlton is the answer for it. So it's definitely very fun. Like, uh, it plays off like uh, with Carlton and Will. There's like a Bugs Bunny, Donald Duck kind of aspect going towards it, and this time it actually like plays into Donald Duck's favor, right? So <laughs> that was definitely very fun. I did like that too, just because like um, uh, the partner knows about the girls and like and their skimpy bikinis, and like it's one of the things he tries to use to entice Carlton. And all Carlton cares about is getting his golf game on while he's there. <laughs> so <laughs> golf is something weird to me. I don't understand people who play it. It's just like uh, you, you hit a stick really hard or something. I don't know. I don't. I don't golf is fun. <laughs> I don't mean that as like because I enjoy golf, but like I also like I'm a bleeding heart leftist. So there's a lot of things inherently like <laughs> the water conservation that we have with golf. But at the same time. Golf is fun. I enjoy <laughs> golf. It's it's a weird thing. But, like, I, I get – because, like, people – like, I don't get baseball, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I like baseball okay, but I don't like – I don't know. It's a weird thing. Golf is more fun to play. And if you've never played it, I can't really explain it to you. That's the, <laughs> yeah, that's you, the kind of you gotta be in in one of those moods. But it reminds me of a joke later in this later in the series where um, Carlton is trying to tell Will about the how fun skiing is, and mm. uh, Will tells him, uh, "Carlton, skiing is for white guys named Sven and O.J. Simpson." <laughs> so I'm like, that's how I like I feel about golf because I, I I my older coworkers are really into it, but all I want to do is drive the cart. That's what I want to do. So, <laughs> but it's very fun. <laughs> but this one joke in this episode that I always love is the scene where um, Carlton's on the freeway in the law partner's car, and he's singing a song to himself all happily, and he's planning. He he's dictating what his plans for Palm Springs are. And he's counting them down point by point. And when he gets the four, Will, like, appears in the back of the car just as Freddy Krueger. <laughs> so, <laughs> with, complete with the hand and putting on, like, a scary voice. And, like, it was always my favorite uh, bit of comedy just for how Will's hand comes into frame. <laughs> like, just for the benefit of the audience, though. Because I'm like, Carlton can't see that. <laughs> so, right. <laughs> it's so good. I love that. I just love that. It's, it's just 
it's really good staging, right? Yes. Like, it's such a really good, like, for the audience, especially, like, this is done on a live studio audience. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, because everything is done with laugh tracks, I don't know how you, like, stage for a studio audience now or if, if that's a lost art. But being able to get those people's reactions, I think that's such the the like perfect uh just ring to it yeah it was like you could hear the little titter of laughter when like his hand appears because like they know it's not freddy krueger for real uh, like it could be i don't know but it's just like really funny to me the way like you can hear everybody's reaction as the hand comes into view <laughs> which is weird because i'm like maybe it's because i'm a girl but i always check the back seat when i get into cars so i don't know how Carlton missed that that spot check. So. Oh, you have to, you have to, because what if someone's in your car? So. <laughs> yeah, this yeah, is, yeah. Well, this scene is probably why I check my back seat. <laughs> so, <laughs> but uh, one thing I wanted to bring up with you, uh, TL, about this is this is the first time I noticed that Will called Carlton an Oreo. I thought he had, <laughs> like, I was watching yeah. it with the captions on, and so I always thought that he had called him an orange or something mm-hmm. so but for those that don't know a lot of people of color have terms that they call other people of color that they feel are acting white so right. for example with native people like a native person that's acting white we call them apples so it's mm-hmm. like red on the outside white on the inside, white on the inside right yeah and i think uh, oreo is the term for with amongst black people right yeah because black on the outside white on the inside <laughs> i find i always find those phrases like so this is a weird thing and it's usually done with like a lot of younger you know black people because when you try to find who you are as you grow up like you're you're very rebellious and you like feel like people should be one way right um i've never liked that term because at the end of the day um i'm black uh carlton's black and we this episode kind of shows it right like i don't care what you say someone's inside is Unfortunately, how we live in our society, what your outward appearance is, is your outward appearance, right? Mm-hmm. And what gets really, what I hate about like phrasing like that, it allows people who are not um, that minority to get a chance to be like, well, I could say it because you're not blah, because X said you're not blah, right? Um, I remember when I first started working online, I had somebody say, well, I'm more black than you are. And I'm like, no, you're not. You're white. I am black. I don't care what experience you have. Like, at the end of the day, I'm black. So something like the, the Oreo, it's it's like a softer term of like something like Uncle Tom, right? Mm-hmm. Um, where Uncle Tom has this very loaded, um, like, connotation behind it. And there's a lot of stuff that goes into it. So it's a big issue, right? Um, the The thing with Oreo is just a very softer way of saying that. But to me, it's still very grody, and I, I'm not, you know, I'm not a huge fan of it. And I'm glad that they they did like talk about that part, like talk about like the actual pro- problem with that in this episode, mm-hmm. because that would have been the thing where I've been like, this is this is this sucks shit, like this shouldn't be. Yeah, this is a joke that like, um, well, not even a joke, but it's something that a person of color would get immediately, like, uh, right. and because we've all had those terms and like, like we, like, I imagine you were called that too. Like I've been called an apple because of my interests uh, that aren't native, like being a goth little kid on a res who listens to you too. Like I was a fucking apple. Uh, sorry right. for sorry, I'll beep that up. But it's like, it's, 
it's so hurtful because I like every time somebody called me like when my mom called me that once I freaked out because I was like I am native like I can't hide the fact that I am native from people and like just because people think I'm an apple doesn't mean that I'm safe from people also knowing that I'm native. So it's just like right. it's a really loaded term, especially like I, which I imagine a lot of pe- non people of color would not get because they'd be like Oreo. That's a funny thing to call a person. Like and right. I'm like oh like no, it, it's not. It, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's the reason why I hate something like. Um, have you ever seen the uh, the Chris Rock um, comedy special where? Oh, about the N word. Yeah, like yeah, I like. I, yeah. I think I think that's one of the most destructive things to ever happen to black people because it gave a lot of people who who were kind of on those fringes and they were fans of Chris Rock who were not black to say like, "Oh, well, if I say N-word, I'm not talking about you. I'm talking about I'm talking about people who are ignorant and anyone can be an N-word." And it's like, "No, but you, you you miss what the cultural history of that word is." And that's what he missed in that. It was a joke. It was him still doing social commentary, but it, it wasn't a good joke because it set a, a bad precedent and stuff like when people do use Oreo or when we have, you know, a presidential candidate who says that if you don't vote for him, you're not really black. Like that stuff, right? That stuff, like it, it, it gets spurred on because we allow stuff like Oreo and we allow this stuff to, to intersect into our culture mm-hmm. because we, uh, we, we send it through and then, when stuff happens like the rest of this episode, you kind of figure, like, you find out, like, I don't care what you your interests are. Uh, and the world doesn't care what your interests are. They don't care what you like. They don't care how you speak, right? Because that's my big barrier. I grew up on, on bases my whole life. So when I first moved to the South, I don't have an accent. And I don't speak in what people would say, like, like, like black speak, right? Mm-hmm. Just because, like, I have a different, I have a different, like, growing up, a growing up structure. So... When you have that and you have all that stuff going in, like you can't say this person is white because at the end of the day, the people who are in position of power, they don't see Sonia. They don't see Sonia as a white person who just happens to be native or RTL, a black person who just happens to be I mean, a white person who just happens to be black. They see a native person. They see a black person. And that's mm-hmm. and that's the thing that I wish more people would be cognizant of. Right. Mm hmm. Well, especially with that, like, Chris Rock joke about, like, not even the joke, like, about how he loves black people, but he hates and right and i'm just like i could see how like in the context of where you're telling it in front of your friends, like, where where you're all black. Yeah. Like, we do that all the time as native people, but it's like, it gives power to people. Like, it's not the same, but like, it's like, when people call it, when there's a hurtful word for you especially in that context with like how loaded the n-word is in terms of like the history of it like whenever there's there's a word that you can use to describe people it's like it's dehumanizing no matter who uses it even if you're trying to reclaim it right it's like it's no like it still has power like to say and i hate when uh non-people of color bring uh, use it and say like well it eliminates this power if you use it more i'm like no it doesn't no it doesn't and it, it, it still puts you in a position of power and like you said like that's the thing it's like everyone will say like oh well if you the more you use it the less power it gives it's like no it's like you still have a position of power over it it's now you have the ability to say it because at the end of the day, you're still using it as a derogatory term for somebody else. Don't get me wrong. I'm saying this right now. I love saying the N word. 
Uh, you will not catch me on like there. I think I've done like two or three podcasts where I said it. I love it. Like you said, it's in my culture. I didn't. I never said it before I moved to Alabama. When I moved to Alabama, it became a term of endearment for me. I love saying it. I have had to learn not to say it, and I don't say it because of the spaces that I'm in. Uh, we talked about when we first started the show being very open, and this is the show that we we want to be frank with white people. Honestly. It's a phrase I don't want white people saying. So yes. if I'm going to ask you not to say it, I'm not going to say it around you. I'm mm-hmm. not going to introduce you to because you don't. We don't have that familiarity, and that's familiarity of years of struggle, years of strife, years of what that you know, merge meant to. It's like with any other any other slur that is used from you know culture to culture. If a culture reclaims it, let that culture reclaim it, and that's their word to reclaim it. And I look at it like this. I don't ever call somebody's mom by their first name unless we are really, really close, right? Yeah. And that's my thing. You could say, oh, hey, my mom's name is Blah. You could call her by her first name. Cool. I'm not. Because that's not my way of doing that. Mm-hmm. And just use it like that. Just if just That's my way of saying, like, you have to be respectful of boundaries. You have to set those boundaries up. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but uh, related to that, another word that I had to look up before for this episode. I don't know what a sh- I didn't know what a shasta was. <laughs> so like, so I, yeah, I, I am too up. young to have shasta. I think it's a cola. Yeah, it's I a, want to say it's a cola. Yeah, I assume so. And I was just like, because I, I know that there are like specific products that only exist in one certain place. Like, like I know Australia had these chips that I love that they don't have anywhere else in the world. Or uh, like same thing. Well, it's all chips, I think, because there's one chip in my country that uh, we have that nowhere else has and they're delicious. But um, but it's it was so funny to me. I'm like, what the hell is a Shasta? Is it like a sandwich? <laughs> so so Shasta. Shasta sodas are still a thing you can get. Um, they are they are colas. They're kind of like – do you know what an RC cola is? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, they're kind of like RC colas. Um, you can get them in both America and Canada. Where? I'm, I'm, look looking, I'm looking online. Uh, let's see. Let's see. Ontario at the Giant Tiger. Oh, Ontario. Okay. Well, uh, well, no, they have it other places too, uh, in Alberta, at the Giant Tiger, and at Northern, <laughs> and at Northmark. I don't know what these stores are. Are these uh, real stores? The Northern and the Northmark are um, basically the WalMarts of Northern Canada. They okay. are they are owned by the Northwest Company, which was a fur trading company back in the 1800s, but now they oversell meat. Like for example, there's a there's a KFC in the northern in a place called Garden Hill, where uh, a five dollar combo in Minnesota would cost twenty five dollars for chicken. So it's like it's it's kind of a shilly place. It's a terrible place. You never shop at the northern. You go somewhere else. <laughs> well, apparently they have Shasta sodas. <laughs> we have um, to go there for Shasta now. We but... have to go there to get Shasta sodas. And I actually did see that. Uh, there are also Shasta sodas uh, in Florida. So, you know, when this episode <laughs> goes up, I might buy some Shasta soda <laughs> and put it on there. Uh, uh, but, like, I one thing I wanted to mention about this episode, too, is I like the mix of comedy and the seriousness. I think that's why it hits so hard is because, like, a lot of people who haven't experienced racism have this idea that racism is always these outright negative, outright malicious acts and no it's not right. that 
Like we, our lives are mixed with like happiness and fun and cracking jokes about our backgrounds, but it's all like the worst racism is the insidious racism. It's like the the racism that Will faces here, where he knows the situation about what's happening to Carlton, and Carlton can't see because he's never had to go through that before. Like right. The like knowing what the cop means by not saying anything really. Or like it, like and I do love the comedy like especially the uh, the bit where like Will pretends to lose his head like where he's just like I really like that head <laughs> and so I but I like the second the cop shows up it's like that scene in in Get Out at the end like you just like know that something bad's gonna happen like I right. I don't know if it's the same thing for UTL but like me seeing a cop car does not inspire any sort of safety. No, it it doesn't. It's like it's a, I dread it. Um, and it's so it's I have a very weird relationship with uh the police. Um, my best friend, like one of my best friends in the world, was best friend at his wedding. I love the guy to death. He's close to my brother. His family are like all police, right? Mm-hmm. Like his his mom is a detective. Um, his sisters work in corrections. His dad, I believe, also is a detective in St. Petersburg. Like, so he is like, a, you know, he his family is police. Um, but I love them. And they are some of my favorite people in the world. But I I can't sit here and tell you I've had great experiences with the police. Um, I've been pulled. I've been I've been stopped while walking one to walking to school and asked why was I going to school and put in the back of a police car. And two, while I was walking on a Sunday while there was no school, and I was just walking where I used to live, there used to be a, uh, there was a school right next to it, I was stopped there, um, because some, like, some vandalism had happened, and I had fit an MO, I was like a 10-year-old kid, mm-hmm. um, I, and, and like I said, I, I have those friends, my, I had an uncle who worked for the, for the chief of police in Foley, Alabama, I, I, I have never been under the, the, um, the look of all cops are bad, right? I, I don't I don't believe in that philosophy because I do think there is there is something that has to be made for a, a centralized order of of people who are who are who their job is to ensure that um that just that just and, and right works. Because if it doesn't how how we how we live in society, and I know I'm getting very heady, but it is something that's always it's something that always society, like, uh, yeah, yeah it's, it's something that always like it's just it's always been there, right? And I, I always want to talk about it, and I think it's very important. Um, I, we live in a society where, um, if we <laughs> we live in a society, but if we lose if we lose those structures, right? Um, unfortunately, it becomes a majority majority mob rule, mm-hmm. and and as a minority, I I feel like as soon as we lose those structures. We're going to get to a situation where we are we are under the whim of a majority, you know, uh, of a majority fighting, f- you know, for us as a as a as a main tactic, or you know, or we end up very, you know, to a lack of a better word, and I apologize if this comes up as insensitive, but tribalism, right? Yeah. Because it then becomes, okay, well, I have this person, that that person, and I I don't think that is a centered structure. However, I do think a lot of police departments can be corrupt. I do think the problem with human with humanization and the problem with not stringently testing or vetting people you have in these systems um, does allow people to come in there with their own biases, come in there with their own structures and their own their own ideas and beliefs, and unfortunately, it does allow and profit uh, profits up racists. Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, and I think about any job you do, lower level people at any job you do, you have the, the mixture. You have the people who are going to be great and that, that you have at lower levels, but at, at the end of the day, you know that they're going to move forward. But then you have the people who are not, who are bad at their job. And as you see with every job, those people get promoted. And that happens in police all the time. And that's why I always, like, when people see something like, well, you have to look at the cop side. Cops do a thankless job. Like, the cops do do a thankless job. You're absolutely right. But that's their job. Mm-hmm. And that is the thing that they have to do. And it has to be a thankless job because as soon as it becomes – it doesn't become that, then we're in a, we're in a, we're in a system now where we're going to be able to promote people who – are egomaniacs who are sysophants who are like fascists, i i can't yeah. yeah who are fascists right and then put them in position of power over people so the the problem that we have with police is that it has to be more stringent like policing with inside the police internal affairs like they can't every cop movie i see with the internal affairs department is like the bad guy mm. pisses me off because that's the only way we can make sure this like stuff actually works is we have to make sure that they are policing themselves because if we can't police themselves, we end up with stuff like in, 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 uh, in Los Angeles from the nineties, we end up with stuff in New York and we end up with stuff like today. Like there's still things that happen now because we don't act. We don't like aggressively do as we should, as we should to, to monitor, uh, the policing that we have. Yeah. Uh, that is my long, that's my long rating <laughs> in saying it. I'm sorry, it's not funny, and I'm not going to be funny later yes. on either. Uh, but but it's something I'm very passionate about because I don't believe in the fact that we should get rid we should get rid of of policing altogether because I do think that comes from from a position of privilege. Mm-hmm. If I am white, I that of course if we get rid of policing, that's fine. Because, like, I'm a majority, right? As a minority, I, I feel very strongly that there should still be a centralized force, but it has to be done, and it has to be um, highly regulated. Yeah. Like, it, that's the same thing. Like, I have the same, like, confusing relationship with the police. Um, in Canada, they're called the RCMP, and they're, like, nas- nationwide. Like, like mm-hmm. they cover all of the land, which included, like, the res. Like, we have our local police in the city, like, the, my city, Winnipeg, but, like, the RCMP is the national police force. And my dad had a close relationship with a lot of cops. Like, um, my best friends were the kids of policemen back then. And, mm. but the, the problem was, like, they would come up north for, like, my reserve for three years and then they'd leave to move somewhere right. else. Because the northern, the northern uh, locations were where they were, where they would have to pay their dues until they got a better assignment. Right. And so, but I also had a really negative relationship with the cops because I grew up, um, my grandfather's, uh, brother, uh, was, was picked up for a drunken disorder, d- drunken disorderly six- and taken to the police station that was 60 kilometers away. It was winter and mm. nobody knew where, where my, my grandfather Francis was and the cops just let him leave and said like, well, you can go home. So he decided to walk home by following the power lines, the 60 kilometers back to his home res, but he never made it. And he froze Mm. to death in the, in the woods. And Mm. so it was like stuff like this. Like that was why my, my great grandfather hated cops was because he blamed them for what happened to Francis. 
And right. so there's still stuff like that that happens. Like uh, there was a situation that happened uh, in a community TL and I are a part of where I was receiving death threats. And when I went to the poli- local police, because like I was told like on the non-emergency line, like go report this. So I was like, okay, I will. So I went to report this and I, I met with like this like white as rice um, young cop who saw my messages and said, well, what did you do to deserve those? What did right. you do, what did you say to get this done? And I'm like, and they're like, well, we don't know if they're going to attack you. And I'm like, dude, he knows where I live, like <laughs> sort of right. thing. And so, and he's like, well, we don't like you did say some stupid things online, so maybe don't say stupid things online. And I'm like, dude, will you be telling me this if I wasn't native? And right. so, like, and he made a big deal, like, no, he's not racist, blah blah blah. And luckily, nothing. Like, I'm still here, I think. Yeah, <laughs> so right. nothing happened. But it was still such a horrible thing because I was like, I would rather deal with these guys on my own than deal mm. with the cops because I knew that was gonna happen. And I like, right. which was terrible because like it made me feel like Will in this episode where you know how the interaction's gonna go because the cop is white. Yeah, it's it's a it's a very defeating thing. Um, one of the things like so I got into a car accident um, last year and or not last year. No, this was like three years ago. Ended up totaling my car. And one of the things the cop said, and I think he was saying it just to like to make levity of the situation, but it really pissed me off. He was like, "Oh, like you have like a clean record. I've never seen anybody like have a record this clean before." And I just wanted to be like, yeah, because I didn't want motherfuckers to, like, pull me over. I'll, I'll bleep that. Or this will <laughs> just be explicit. But, like, I just wanted you guys to pull me over and be like, oh, yeah, you know, we have all this stuff on, on you know, on Travis, on TL. Um, so I, I very actively do that. And, like I said, it sucks. It sucks because I shouldn't have to be afraid to go to the police. Yeah. Right? Um, and it, it should be something that is, is used against us. But as we see in this episode, like... It's something that's like it's kind of inherently in, and it, the 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 thing that I push back on again, why I push back on the on the abcap stuff is, the the argument is that all humans are inherently bad. And I don't believe that. I I yeah. refuse to believe that because I refuse to live into a life where I will allow a negativity negativity of a of a moment to dictate how I think humanity moves forward. I refuse to believe that. But the problem is we have become so pig-headed and stubborn to think that we can never be wrong on something, and that's where a lot of the issue comes in, right? A lot of a lot of cops, honestly, if you like, a lot of people, like I say, it's like, oh, they're just normal people. They are normal people, but they feel like here's how I'm supposed to act because this is what I was always told I'm supposed to act, and not a lot of people will look at that and be like, okay, well, what if I challenged how I was taught? Mm-hmm. And I think that's always important. And as people, and there's something that I, I, I want to really put up as people, we need to be able to look at something and challenge how we think about something because how we think about something uh, can evolve and how we act and how we move can evolve. And that's the way we get out of that stagnation. How we get out of this issue where we have cops like this is we are allowed ourselves to realize, okay, something I thought was wrong. Cool. All right, let me fix it mm-hmm. and then move forward. That's it. That's all anyone asks you to do. Life isn't telling you you have to be 100% PC because you can't. You physically can't because you don't know because you don't have the ability to to meet and know everyone. You are going to say something that's going to be messed up. You are going to use prejudices. That's how life works. Yeah. The, 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 the way of getting past that is using that, seeing that, okay, got it. 
move forward. I know how I'm supposed to act. And, and that's that's the thing that we have to ask for people. That's the thing we have to need for people. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of hard, too, because, like, I'm discussing that, too, about the idea that hope in when things have been easy is always an easy thing to do. But hope when you've gone through such trauma is such a hard thing. Like, I want to be able to trust the police. Like, I want to have that, like, childhood wonder of, like, being being okay with the cops. But, like, we don't live in a futuristic utopia. And, uh, and right. it's really sad. Like, especially in Canada, like, if anyone wants to look into it, look, in, look at the relationship with the RCMP and the police. Look at how the Vancouver Police Department handled the picked-in cases that were largely Aboriginal, Indigenous women. Like, the, tra- the Highway of years in bc where a disproportional amount of indigenous women go missing and like uh like very recently uh, a cop got reprimanded because he was using excessive force on an indigenous woman and it's just like damn it like i can't and but i have so many friends who are indigenous who have become police and do good work but it's like it's hard because it's like are you the Galen Urso of this situation? You know what I mean? <laughs> right. Yeah, it's like, it's like I'm going to take him down from the inside sort of thing. But I, I think that it is important to have more people like us in those positions. But it's, mm. the, it's just a hard road to hoe, I think. And yeah. but as we as we find out, as, as it's obvious in this episode, Will and and Carlton go to jail. <laughs> so, yes, yes. Um, where the scary white man in the jail cell is the real MVP of this episode, because uh, just the like I love the little like because uh, I'll mention it later, but I love his clenched fists as he's singing "Let My People Go," just like beautiful. <laughs> so, so he is the he is the person I remember. Like obviously, I remember the. Story of this episode but he is the person i remember more and like it's just like this giant dude singing show tunes i'm like <laughs> okay oh, i have I all the it. songs he sang okay i looked them up and the songs he sings are go down moses clap your hands from the musical okay barry manilow's i write the songs macarthur park and the song one so but it also has the best quote about why they have to get out of the best like line of the episode where uh will is deciding they have to get out and carlton asks him why and he's like that white dude's scaring me when you see a white guy in jail you know he did something bad (laughs) so that just hit me so hard i'm like oh yeah like what did bob do before he got there (laughs) yeah what did he do to get get put into prison in palm springs he, you know, he was uh, out singing show tunes while he <laughs> murdered somebody. Like, there's a, there's a like twelve episode, like uh, uh, true detective, case, yeah. true detective like podcast, like sitting right there, of like the secret files of Bob, <laughs> so, show tunes Bob. But uh, Bob is played by Raymond McLeod, who is a baritone singer. Who was in the original Broadway cast of Jekyll and Hyde and played mm. Juan uh, Juan Perón in Evita, um, and I really wanted to know, like I couldn't find any information on it, but I wanted to know how he came up on the show, like because he has like two modes this episode: Broadway performer and scary white man in the corner, and mm. like we don't we don't find out how Will discovers that bob is his name <laughs> so well, i mean they were in there they were in there for, for a while, hours right? yeah. <laughs> yeah and i i he does have such a beautiful voice like yeah. just like when he comes in it's like tell the evil pharaoh let my people I'm like 
I'm like, what? <laughs> I would have been so like, oh, it's so great. Um, I love it. It's like I said, I think it's it's some of the great uh, and I I compared Carlton and Will like Bugs Bunny and um and Daffy Definitely. Duck, but this yeah. this is definitely like more like the Aberdeen the Aberdeen but the Bob Hope and um. Uh, Bob Hope and uh, uh, the other, the like the the Destination movies, right? Mm-hmm. Like this this has that kind of a flair to it because it's like it is like the shenanigans these two go into, and that's like some of the best episodes. Some of my favorite episodes are them playing off each other because neither are the straight guy, but they are like an Abbott or Costello, <laughs> or you know, like they're they're able to like tell these jokes with each other and just be fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's something that's not a very fun subject. But they can be fun with it, like Will giving them sass, like, like I'm just using my one phone call. <laughs> he uses phone call and tries to call Jeffrey, and Jeffrey just yells at him. He's like, "I'm off. I am tired of doing favors for you spoiled Royal children." children. And he hangs, yes. up, hangs up the phone. Like I love that, and just like Will, like I said, Will's taking it seriously, but not. He's being goofy about it, right? Mm-hmm. And then, and Carlton's going through. I love though, however, um, how they're able to trick. Uh, the way of being able to tell uh, Phil and uh, Uncle Phil and Aunt Viv, and that is by saying that they are the people who did the murders, and then they, but they'll only on... confess if they have a camera crew. <laughs> yeah, and then, like you just see uh, Will, yeah, I did it, now do it again, <laughs> and then Cross is just like, "Mommy, help me!" It's just such, it's so good, and, so and you funny. can see uh, Bob in the background, like just like staring at them creepily. <laughs> It's it's oh, so definitely good. Um, I just love that. It's so funny to me. Like, um, because like it like th- again, this episode is just like a good mix of the serious and the funny. Because like it, like I remember this episode more like for how it made me feel in terms of like how hard I laughed at certain things. Like especially when Jeffrey is like insulting the kids to their faces, or when he answers the phone because Hillary won't answer it, and he's like he just answers lazy house (laughs) and like when uh was it uh when hillary gives uh espresso to uh ashley and stuff and like just the cute stuff of this episode is like it really sums up the experience of being an like a person of color and dealing with the dealing with racism because it is not like racism is a common part of our life, but so is like the happiness we have. Like I right. sound like so, I sound like such a card, but <laughs> <laughs> but I love how savage Aunt Vivian is in this episode when she when they arrive. Um, right. I love that when she like when she's told to calm down, she says like "Calm yourself, Barney Fife," and starts taking off her earrings. I just <laughs> so. But um, one part that really freaked me out that I didn't really realize now that I'm a little older I see it a little bit more the absolute contempt and like the attempt to brush off Phil and Vivian because mm. of uh, the way the cops try to brush her, brush them off and, and they only speak with um, respect when the law partner arrives right and it's so it's one of those things uh, and again hey we're back to the downer part right <laughs> so we're going to talk about race and all those stuff it's one of the things that like being a black person again why stuff like oreo bothers me a lot right or like the conversations about that because at the end of the day like the people who are going to harm you the most because of your race they don't really care 
mm-hmm. you know, what you are. They just see your race, right? Um, so as of this recording, uh, the big thing that happened this weekend was there was an issue where a, um, a, a lady was in a park without her dog, unchained, um, and a, a guy um, a guy who um, was a bird watcher told her, hey, put your dog back on the leash. Um, she wouldn't. He tried to give the dog treats. I want to give every backstory so people can't say I'm fabricating anything. Uh, she tried to give the dog treats. She grabbed the dog over, so he proceeded to film her. Film her. Um, as she did that, she was very much like, I don't know what you're doing, blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. And then she said, I'm going to call the cops and say an African-American man is threatening my life. Um, she has now, she has, since this recording has been fired from her job, um, her dog has been taken away from her from the people who she rescued the dog from. Mm-hmm. Um, all this stuff has been done. Um, however, like as someone who is black, like that, that is to me, that's the most terrifying thing, right? Like I, I, I've, I've grown, I've grown up in the South. Um, I've grown up, um, I've grown up around like basically what Jim Crow era stuff is, right? Uh, my dad's side of the family has a very like strong history in black activism and dealing with the civil rights movement. My aunt, um, who I lived with, she was the she her senior class was the first class to integrate into Foley High School. Um, my you know my my dad uh, very famously like my dad was growing up. Like, he would have to pick pecans to, you know, to buy a jacket. Like, we're not a rich family. We, and at the end of the day, like, we are who we are, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and and have that and to know that at any time you can be, uh, weapon, it can be weaponized just being who you are. Like, I'm a 5'11", over, you know, up, like, I'm at the 300-pound border, right? Uh, black dude. I'm a big dude, right? And... Yeah, if you talk to me, I don't, I'm not, I have no threatening aura about myself, right? But, like, I'm a big dude, and I know that I'm a big dude. So, like, it, it, it it's always, I always, like, it's a, it's a touchy subject with me because at any time I feel like I can be, I, I can be taken out just because I represent a threat. Not that mm-hmm. I am a threat, and I, I represent a threat, and it's because people use stuff like race and people's size and stuff like that um, as a, as barriers for people. And they don't see people as people and they use that as attack mechanisms. Like this story, it becomes a, it, we all can laugh about it and call her Karen and she loses her job. She makes these posts about, or she'll see an animal. My life is ruined. Right. Um, and that is the best case scenario. Best case scenario. We see her. She acts like a racist. We treat her like a racist. Right. Like, I don't know what's in her heart. You don't know what is in anybody's heart, but that's racial. What she did was racially racially tinged. Yeah, like a racist. You get treated like a racist. Mm-hmm. But what if the cost came, right? And what if they took that threat as a literal threat that he was going to harm for her and they shoot him? Yeah. You know, I, I, I don't... I, I don't know I don't know then what does this story become right do we have another thing where we had a, a cop who went to a black man's house and shot a black man in this house because she thought it was her house and her whole thing was like well I thought it was my house and I was just like at, at what point at what point can we just exist right and mm-hmm. that's like and when I, I see something like in this episode and it's the thing that Carlton has to struggle with it's like how do I exist? How do I how do I live and be a person, right? And that's the thing 
that I, to this day, it's 2020. I don't know what the answer to that is, right? I don't yeah. know how you are, how we are to exist because at any time, if anything happened, if anything happened to me and I was shot, not only would I be shot, there would be stories about how I'm an asshole, how I did like 20 million things. They will find every narrative to smear the fact that I got shot. Yeah. Like it's and, like... I'm sorry, go ahead. Yeah. Oh, no, go ahead. Sorry. Oh, no, and, and it's, 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 it's both frustrating and infuriating and it's just... It's a lot. Uh, a, a writer I know, he, he said, like, he's like, I always get mad when people put me as an angry black dude. But it's like, what do you, you know, what do you expect? We have all this injustice and everything like that. And I was like, yeah, like, everyone always was complaining about black, black men being mad or black women being mad. That's the, that's the best trope, right? Is that black women, women of color in general, but black women, always mad, right? But, like, think of the, sh- the sh- I'm just going to, this is going to be unbelievable. I am going to go explicit on this. Think of the shit that gets piled upon us all the time. And like I said, to me, it's women of color. So, like, I remember when that stuff happened with you in the Laser Time group. And I remember, like, I remember happening to you and then a lot of your replies, also with a lot of our other friends, like, to the point where people had to change their names. And mm-hmm. I'm just like, 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 when you think about that, it, it just, like, it irritates the piss out of me because it's like, why do you think people are mad? Why do you think women don't want to be a part of, like, a space that feels contentious? Why do you think black people don't want to be a part of the space that feels contentious? And everyone always wants to be like, well, they have to, like, it's always put on minorities or the, the lower class to ingratiate themselves. Mm-hmm. No, we have to start making barriers break through. Again, like I said earlier, you not knowing everything, that's fine. It happens. Cultures are a thing. However, you have to be more culturally accepting, not culturally appropriating, but culturally accepting what goes on, see something, learn something, move forward. And that's the thing. Like, I, I, I hope that this is what that episode gets pulled off. It's like, Carlson wasn't seen as a rich person. Carlson wasn't seen as a white person. Carlson was seen as a black person who was in jail because he fit a description that most black people would fit. Yeah, that was what, like, uh, going back to what you said about living in, like, living as, like, with this, with this new knowledge. Um, like, I am, have some note, like, uh, my name has some note mm-hmm. in my city right now. Like, I get yeah. asked to do conferences, like, little, little things, like, and I distinctly remember, um, like, I thought, like, racism was over for me. Like, at 33, I'm like, okay, we've turned a corner. Uh, racism doesn't happen to me anymore. And so um, I went to a conference and on the second day, um, I realized the night, be- the night of the night after I did it that I left my MacBook adapter there. And the first day I was dressed up because it was like a, it was a big conference. It was a big deal. It was fancy. So I had, was wearing a dress. I was dressed up wearing makeup. The next day I went in with like just my normal clothes, which was like black, black jeans, a hoodie, like my pins on my backpack. And I go in and, um, I'm distinctly like obviously treated a lot differently because people don't know, didn't, don't know who, don't know that the girl that was the keynote the, the day before is this girl right. in the hoodie. And people were just so rude to me. A guy who was complimenting me on my poise and my ability to inspire kids of indigenous backgrounds just blew me off immediately. Mm. And it was like the worst thing because I'm just like, like it, it, it is such a difficult thing to be able to just be dismissed so easily 
even though like they were just like uh, just day before treating me like I was like such a such a great thing and I'm like I, I feel tokenized in that way like yeah like I could talk about like the impact of how dangerous it is to be an indigenous woman and especially where I live or when I was telling you about mm. how I was receiving those death threats and like the cops were not really taking it seriously and I'm like dude i'm a native woman like i take this shit seriously all the time like uh how easy it is for any of us to go missing and like how it'll be blamed on me if i go missing and so it just like it's just a horrible thing and i hope like we haven't chased off everybody with our discussion about like (laughs) no (laughs) but i mean this is this is this is the thing it's like i do want to have these conversations and it's i think it's important right and this is like i said i i'm not doing a bit i really do think it's very important and I think it's important for people of all races, but especially white people to get in these conversations, right? Mm-hmm. And to hear from us and say, hey, here's what's going on. Because like I said earlier, that's the only way you know and you can get better. I'm not asking, again, I'm not asking every white person to be perfect. It's not mm-hmm. going to happen. It's just life, how life is set up, how your life is set up. Like, again, I even understand why people are like, I don't see privilege. Like, yeah, if you're a poor white person, I would not see it either. Yeah. You have to kind of pull the layers back like you being a poor white person me being a poor white me being a poor black person those are two different things right but i understand where you're coming from mm-hmm. but you have to be willing to listen to people and you have to be willing and understanding to adjust your world view once you've heard different experiences yeah that's the that's what i think is the important thing about doing this that's why i think it's important for us to do this show i think it's specifically important for us for a native canadian and a black dude that's born in Germany who lived in Florida, like, I, I think it's important for us because it is being able for us as minorities to say, hey, here's what we're going through. Here's what we would want you guys to do. Mm-hmm. And see it in, like, a way, like, because I think this, like, uh, the type of audience for this show, for Fresh Prince is, like, yeah, it, it it is aiming more towards like white folks, but like the jokes that are in there for people of color always hit the hardest. And like it's episodes like this that really show the the lived experience of people of color, specifically black people. And I just love it for that reason. Like because the show doesn't end with a definite answer. It's like I love that. Like because there is no definite answer to how we're treated because of some ignorance and like how if we um like for example um I if I had to stop at a house because my car broke down in in my city if I saw a person who was fl- flying the we call it the Métis flag uh, it's a blue mm-hmm. infinity symbol. It uh, represents the Métis people who are traditionally uh, people of French and indigenous heritage. And mm-hmm. I would go to that house first because I knew that they would they'd be okay with native people. And right. so it's stuff like that. Like I like a lot of people don't see that part of the show, but I'm like, no, like this is a part of their life where the racism is like, uh, like un- is an undercurrent of other things. Right. And I love the show for that. It's yeah, it, I think it, it's very important that it does that. And I, I, I do think it's very important that these, this first season, they do talk a lot about a lot about that heritage and a lot about how we look into it. So it, it is very important. Um, do you have any other notes for this episode 
uh, that I said we were going to go short and we didn't. <laughs> no, it's okay. uh, but, I but I think had, we're at uh, the end. Yeah. I had, yeah. I had a lot of, I had a lot of anger uh, or not anger. You know, like I said, it's, I think it's a very important conversation um, that we had and, you know, we've been getting our feedback for the show. And I think this is the thing that is important about this. Like if, if I was going to tell you, Hey, this is the episode I want you to listen to. It'd probably be this one. This is, I think this is the most emblematic thing because it was us having a very frank conversation that I don't think, I don't think four dude, four white dudes from Minnesota would be like, uh, you know, qualified to have not shitting on four white dudes from Minnesota. I love those guys. <laughs> yeah. Minnesota is <laughs> awesome. <laughs> but yeah, I hear you. Cause it's just like the way this show hits, or this episode specifically hits uh, a native girl and a, and a black man. Like, it's it's going to hit a lot differently than if it was, like, a kid who grew up, a white kid who grew up in a suburb in Minnesota. Right. It's just like, because, it, it, like, even though, um, like, because uh, I, I just th- keep thinking about, like, the the movie Do the Right Thing and how similar it is to a lot of stuff I experience. And, it's, again, it has to, like, I am not a black person, but the only stuff I had was black media. And seeing right. my story in, in some ways within the same universe makes me feel less alone. Because I've experienced mm-hmm. this type of thing, and I love that. And being able to talk about it and just, it's just overwhelming to me. I just love it. <laughs> And my right. TED talk. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Thank you for thank you for allowing me to do my TED talk today. Uh, uh, yeah. So um, I really like the show. I love doing this show. Um, again, a little bit behind the curtain. Me and Sonya just recorded an episode before this one uh, with a, a, a friend of both of ours. She is not your friend, Sonya. So I, I cannot say she's not a uh, friend of both of ours. So that was really great. Um, that is coming up. Uh, in the future, uh, but uh, for plugs, uh, I'm going to go first. I'm gonna let Sonia have the floor mm-hmm. uh, because I want to plug. Um, since we did have that friend, and because of what we're talking about now, um, I want to plug some episodes I did at Laser Time. Uh, yes, I've please. Done, I've done a couple of uh, so Laser Time podcast um, is a podcast network ran by Chris. And Lisa, um, but they have a number of shows. Um, but the Laser Time show itself, I did a number of actually. Uh, very black centric shows that I feel very very like comfortable in sharing. I love them. Um, I did a episode talking about the history of uh, Tyler Perry, Shonda Rhimes um, shows with both Chris and uh, Sarah, which is really great. Um, with Chris and Sarah, I also did a great episode on uh, Kwanzaa, um, and quite possibly one of my favorite podcasts I've ever done uh, with me, Chris, and uh, Sam. We talked about black exploitation films. Oh, uh, that was my favorite episode. Yeah, <laughs> and I, I love I love black exploitation films, and we get to talk about them soon. Um, I know we had Richard Roundtree uh, recently, mm-hmm. um, with yeah. you know, with, yeah. <laughs> uh, with the uh, with the Professor No episode. Uh, but it, it's really really great. Um, I love that, and I love doing those shows, and I love like I said, I I I know I've seen a lot of people pigeonhole me like, oh, what are you talking about black things? But I was like. But I love it. Like I love talking about, you know, my history because it's my history, and that's something that like I feel like it would be it would be remiss if that stuff goes away just because it's not in the cultural zeitgeist because white people control that, right? So yeah, uh, that's that's my thing. I also do P and B, but that's my plug. I want to plug that <laughs> uh, since I'm on my whole uh, bullshit right now. Uh, <laughs> 
Sonia, what would you like to? Uh, well, check us out at Pool House Live on Twitter. Um, we're uh, still ramping up there. Um, as we mm. watch more episodes, I keep remembering certain things, and I keep tagging Pool House Live. So you can uh, you can also find me at Honey underscore Child on Twitter. Um, I talk a lot about uh, upcoming episodes of uh, Live at the Pool House. Um, talk about other things. Um, I'm also uh, looking to write some more so check out my blog at soniaballantine.com um and yeah like keep listening give us a good review um face the wall if you don't have a good review and wait for the moment to pass and then (laughs) but yeah like if you like hit us up if you if you like the show i'd love to hear it yeah uh, like i said if you have if you have valid criticism please we will have a conversation now. <laughs> your criticism, and I'm not doing this to be snipe or snipe the dude that gave us criticism because I do think. It oh was, yeah, he, I he actually, was. Good. I, yeah, it was nice. yeah, I actually do think there was a point to his criticism. Um, however, if you come with a criticism, please note one: I hate everything that I do <laughs> because I'm a masochist. <laughs> it means on you are writers, so we we know how to to be like you're like oh that sucks It's like oh buddy. You don't know how much you like. We like listen to this and be like, I said that. Of course, I'm ruining <laughs> this, right? So don't worry about that. But um, don't be afraid if we push back at some of the the ideas that are given to us. And the reason why I say that it's not not to be dismissive or flippant to what you're saying, but a lot of times that when we do stuff, we have thought about it, right? Mm-hmm. And we are creative, so we have gone through a, a vetting process. So how we do our episodes, we are still getting our foot and are getting our, 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 our toes behind it, right? But yeah. at the same time, like, we know what we're looking for. We know how we're kind of aiming it. So, you know, just chill on that. That's what I would That's what I would say to you. Just chill on that. Yeah. I'm just like, um, you do it then. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. But, yeah, like, it, it was valid criticisms, and I understand that. But it's like, we are doing the show first and foremost as, as a, like, we look at everything from a racial point of view because right. of our backgrounds. Like, we cannot do that. Like, every like I'm trying to pitch a episode to Laser Time about colonization in films and how Native people are often only portrayed as aliens or genetically modified apes like it's it's really like it's something i really want to talk about but i understand people can be like oh social justice warrior stuff boo like just talk about the show but i don't think the show would be fun if it was just a wiki us reading the wikipedia page right no yeah i i i think the to actually have the conversation and learn about it i think that's what's way more important exactly Uh, but thanks uh, for listening, but, everybody. Yeah, thanks for listening. Uh, <laughs> next week's show is that is next week the poem show? Next week is the Raphael De La Ghetto episode. So we are going to go back to having fun and looking at Jeffrey with a with an afro. All right, uh, for Sonia Valentine, I'm T.L. Foster. This is live at the pool house, and don't get thrown out like jazz. <laughs>